Okay, let's begin. This is our second session. And the second session, the subject is social engagement. Is social engagement necessary for the sake of the gospel and our families? Is it necessary? In other words, can I just be left alone to play on my joystick? Can you just leave me alone? I just want to have a good time. And I call it a joystick instead of a controller. That was the old word for it. I call it that because society changes words all the time to make it more acceptable to do foolishness. So a controller today was a joystick when it was initially, so that a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old man who should be busy with more important things of life wastes his time with entertainment and video games. That's the problem. And yet this problem is a common problem, not just in that one example. Because with this attitude, just leave me alone, I don't want to engage, I don't want to know about anything, there are various things, various uh, objections people raise, and then various consequences to their actions. Before we go into the scriptures and how we should view this subject, people who have this mentality, they indulge themselves in sports, in hobbies, in vacations, amusement parks, travel to the beach, in their careers, and they think that if we do engage, we're just picking fights. And I don't want to pick a fight. I just want to be left alone and have a good time in life. When actually the Bible tells us to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. It says contend, Jude verse 3. And then others will say, we just need to preach the gospel. Let's just preach the gospel and we don't need to engage in anything else. When they say that, and I have in mind New Calvinism, or the New Reformed Movement, New Calvinism, Neo-Calvinism, um, men like Tim Keller, John Piper, Al Mohler, Matt Chandler, these kinds of men, they are the ones who say, let's preach the gospel. And they have used this word gospel and hijacked the word gospel with a perverted false gospel. They've actually done that, and then they say preach the gospel, but really what they're doing is tricking us. They say preach the gospel all the while they are involved with social activism. They are involved with politics. They are involved with changing laws and changing views and perspectives on how we should look at the Christian faith and the Christian faith's influence in our culture. They are actively involved all the while saying just preach the gospel. Really what they're doing is causing us to be disengaged, causing us to think Oh, yeah, of course, there's nothing more important than the gospel. And then we think, therefore, I should not know anything and I should not do anything about the political world. Well, if we have any of these attitudes, if we have any of these attitudes, any of these preoccupations, what are the consequences of disengagement? What happens when we are uninformed and uninterested and uninvolved with what's happening all around us. Our public schools, our public schools are in a mess. Taxes are raised. Indoctrination happens in our schools. Public schools, which is a problem in itself. There's no Bible, no prayer in schools. Public and even private. In many Christian schools, there is meager attention given to the Bible and prayer. Meager. They might think it's plenty, but really, it's meager and um, 
incorrect interpretation of the Bible? What about blatant sexual sins because of our uninvolvement? Pornography, fornication, adultery, easy divorce and remarriage, sodomy, pedophilia, sex trafficking? If we were to stand up as a, as a potent force in our society, these things would not be happening. If we were to insist that our politicians enact laws and enforce laws that are on the books already, these things would not be happening, at least not happening in such widespread, blatant ways. Illegal drugs. What about all the gangs because of these illegal drugs and the gangs? The illegal drug and gang, um, the mafia that is involved with all of this, trafficking drugs, it has been destroying American culture for at least 20 years. It has its um, ups and downs, but for the last 20 years, until, about, until the election of President Trump, it has dominated and corrupted many aspects of U.S. society. In the inner cities and in small towns, it has devastated these people. Much drug addiction. Well, why don't we stand up and why don't we say something? Because it's going to be your sons and daughters who are taking these drugs. What about drunkenness? No one ever preaches against that. What about gambling and casinos? Gambling and casinos. I am told that in the state of Oklahoma, it was a Baptist deacon of the First Baptist Church of Shawnee, Oklahoma, who ran for governor and allowed for the rise of casinos in the state of Oklahoma. What happened there? Because he didn't believe in the Bible. He did not have any ethical standards that were matching Scripture. And then what about things such as feminism? Feminism destroys, in the name of helping women, it destroys women and families. Feminism. What about the killing of babies, the, the slaughter of babies? I thought babies were cute and cuddly. I thought they were supposed to be expected. I thought we we're supposed to cherish them. Is that not what happens, usually, in the hospitals and places of birth? But why is it that we have given this, this room, this possibility, that a mother and a father, especially a mother who is typically tender, a woman who is typically tender, would be so stifled in her compassion that she would have the audacity to murder her own offspring. How does that happen? Where is that? And why is that happening? It's happening because not enough people are speaking up and doing something about it. And one day it will be your own son or daughter. One day it will be your own grandson or granddaughter. And what will you do at that time? Oh, justify it? No, we cannot justify it. How about disrespect of authority? This has been happening for decades, at least for 50 years, disrespect of authority in the United States. No, children don't re respect parents. Then wives don't respect their husbands. Employees don't respect their employers. And on and on. This happens. There is an upheaval in our culture because we have failed to insist on these things. And how about in our church life? Church attendance has become casual. Church attendance is casual. 
if one attends church a couple of times a year, it's still considered okay, and that individual considers himself a Christian. Better than that, but not so good, is attending church once or twice a month. Once or twice a month, it's considered acceptable. It's okay. And that they are regular attenders at church. Really? One or two hours a month, and in that time, a meager exposure to the preaching of the Word of God, the true gospel of God of salvation? When that happens, how are people going to be saved? Because the most important day of the week to hear the authoritative, clear preaching and teaching of Scripture is on Sunday, right? The Lord's Day. That's the time to do it. But if we're ignoring it because of sports, because of work, because of whatever excuses we make, then who's going to be saved? And therefore, we desecrate the Lord's Day. It's, a sacrilege, uh, it's sacrilegious to do things like this when we should be with the people of God and worshiping God. These are the consequences of disengagement. These are the consequences of not being involved. Therefore, we should be involved. It doesn't matter what people think, and it doesn't matter what opposition we face. Now, engagement from Scripture. Does the Bible expect us to be engaged? And the answer is yes. The Bible considers all of us, not just pastors, not just leaders, not just the men, everyone, every one of us as believers in Christ, we are considered soldiers of Christ. Why does the Bible use that metaphor that all of us are considered soldiers of Christ? Why does the Bible speak of the Christian life in terms of warfare and battle? Why does the Bible do so? It does so because it's real. There is a spiritual component to all of the physical things that we see. And if that spiritual component is there and we are in warfare, then we every day, like a diligent and vigilant soldier, we have to be on guard for what's happening all around us. Because we have the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil attacking us many, many times every day. We are thought, in our thoughts and in the world and the devil through our thoughts and the world, we are fed lies, thousands and thousands of lies every day in order to destroy us and destroy our souls. Therefore, we have to have this perspective that we are soldiers of Christ. Now, specifically that Satan, Satan himself is our enemy and behind all of this through the world and the flesh. John 8, 44. John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The father, the originator of lies, is Satan. Whatever lie we hear... Social, moral, theological, whatever lie we hear is coming from Satan. That's how dangerous it is. And Satan does not have our best interests in mind at all. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Verses 1 to 3. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here, we are dead, we are alienated from God, we deserve the wrath of God. Why? Because our flesh and the world and Satan are all working against us. These are our enemies that we have to fight every day. 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We must be sober. That means be, be active with our mind, not drunk with drunken thoughts. But we have to be on the alert, not sleepy. We have to understand we have an adversary, specifically the devil, and he is like a voracious lion. He's prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The issues of life that we are facing are issues of life and death. He is seeking to devour us. So what should we do? Well, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober and to be on the alert. James 4.7 says, but resist him, resist the devil. Resist him and he will flee from you. 1 Corinthians 16.13 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Act like men. That means even women and girls are in a sense to have this attitude, this vantage point or this perspective on their Christian life. Act like men. Men, we are supposed to do so. Just as when men are called gentlemen, or if a man is described as being tender and kind-hearted, he is, in a sense, displaying certain feminine qualities that are usually evident in women. So in this case, all of us, even women here, in this sense, are to act like men and not be afraid, which is the general tendency of women to be afraid of what might happen. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace." 
In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We are all called here in Ephesians chapter 6 to be this way, to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, to have the full armor of God, to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Really, ultimately, we are fighting a spiritual war. And if they are victorious in the physical realm, they will also be victorious in the spiritual realm. But if we are victorious in the physical realm, we will also be victorious in the spiritual realm. Because we have the truth, we have righteousness, we have the gospel, we have the shield of faith, we have also salvation and the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's the Word of God we should be using as soldiers to refute the wicked enemy of the world. And with prayer for boldness, verses 18 to 20. Pray, pray, pray for boldness. We don't need any more cowards. We don't need anybody embarrassed and shy about the truths of the gospel. We need courageous men, brave men, who are soldiers of Christ. 1 Timothy 1.18, 6.12, and 2 Timothy 4.7. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. Notice there, there are bad fights. People get into fights for unnecessary reasons. But if it's the faith of the gospel, it is a good fight. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as soldier. We are supposed to suffer hardship, not avoid hardship with our amusements and distractions, but we're supposed to suffer hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And if we are an active soldier, then what happens? Active soldiers are not going to the grocery store. They are on the battlefield, right? It, their behavior changes. Their behavior changes if they know that they are in an active battle. So we cannot be twiddling our thumbs. We could, cannot be... Uh, preoccupied with our amusements and pursuits, self-indulgence. No, we have to be on guard and ready as a good soldier and please the one who enlisted us. Who enlisted us? Christ Jesus. So whatever Christ wants of us is what we should pursue. Furthermore, furthermore, what does it look like to be a good soldier? What does it look like to be a good soldier? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, 11 to 13. What does God expect of us in certain practical ways? Ephesians 5, 11. 
And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. We should be avoiding their unfruitful deeds because they are deeds of darkness, works of darkness, and not only avoid them because we might say, well, I'm not doing what they're doing. Okay, well, if you're not doing what they're doing, that's only half of it. The other half is to expose them. Expose them. Tell the world what's happening. Tell the world, tell your own people, your family, your relatives, your friends, what is actually happening. Because they do deceitful and disgraceful things in secret. In secret, they do these things. Expose them. Tell the world. You're not slandering them, which is another thing. The moment we begin to expose or tell the truth, then they tell us we're slandering them. We're judging them and we're slandering them. Slander is saying something untrue about somebody else. That's slander. Slander is not telling the truth. Really, they are the ones slandering us when we are speaking the truth. But when we speak the truth, don't let them diffuse you. Don't let them distract you. Don't let them confuse you by saying, no, no, you are slandering us. No, we are exposing you. It's the truth. It's evidence. It's the facts that we are displaying. Proverbs, Proverbs 24, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. 24, 11. Deliver those who are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter, oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he, meaning God, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts, and does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? We, what are we supposed to do? Deliver those being taken away to death who are being slaughtered. He's talking about innocent people. And what happens with them? Or well, who are these innocent people? Well, it happens to babies. It happens to babies all the time. It happens to young children, boys and girls. It happens to them in sex trafficking. They are raped and murdered, right? They are exploited like that. Why aren't we saying anything? Why don't we expect our politicians to do anything? They are being delivered over to death. And by the way, it's not the white police officer who has nothing better to do than to look for a black boy taking a stroll on the sidewalk down a residential street, and he wants to pull out his gun and shoot him to death. That is not Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. But the misinterpreters, the false preachers out there with the so-called concern for, against racism, they are the ones causing racism. It's not white police officers looking for black boys to murder. It's not happening. It's not happening. Even George Floyd was not that. George Floyd was a criminal, a hardened criminal, a felonious criminal. He was not 
an innocent boy, 10-year-old boy walking down the street just for a stroll or going to his friend's house. It's not like that. It doesn't happen that way. So when they say, oh yes, they say, and many do, like recently, Tony Evans, you know, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Tony Evans, one among others, said, we need to be concerned not only about abortion before birth, but abortion after birth. And by abortion after birth, he has in mind that there are white police officers looking for innocent, cute, 10-year-old black boys walking down the sidewalk, and they are murdering them. That's not happening. And they cannot use verses like this out of context. There is no such thing, misusing words again, polluting words, post-birth abortion, meaning adults or boys that are able to walk and go here and there, that they are being murdered in this way, dragged to death. No, that's not happening. It's a lie intended to create racial strife. Chapter 31, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, and verses 8 and 9. 31, 8, and 9. Open your mouth for the dumb, or the mute, those who are unable to speak up, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Open your mouth, it says in verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth. And what will happen if we don't open our mouth, and according to Proverbs 24, if we say, you know what, I never knew anything about that. God is going to judge us. God will judge us if we don't open our mouths, speak the truth, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the retaliation from the world of the unbelievers. And even the so-called believers within Christianity. Did he not say, does not God consider it? who weighs the hearts? Does not God know it, who keeps your soul? Will not God render to every man according to his work? Therefore, speak up. Speak up. Now, these are words of offense, are they not? And there is a sense in which we need to be on the offensive, on the offensive. Titus 1.9, for the pastor. The pastor should be able to exhort in sound doctrine, and refute those who contradict. The pastor should exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That is active. That is unoffensive. Contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
and also six. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Our actual war is a spiritual war, but it does not mean that there are no physical agents of the spiritual war. That's why we are destroying every lofty thought against the knowledge of God and obedience to Christ. And when there are those who do not obey, we are ready to punish, it says. Verse 6, we are ready to punish. Ready to punish those who have the audacity to go against Christ. That's what we are about. Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 12. Proverbs 21, 12. The righteous one considers the house of the wicked, turning the wicked to ruin. The righteous, that's us, right? The righteous one considers the house of the wicked, turning the wicked to ruin. That is the language of warfare. That is, we are about being on the alert. Where are the wicked? Where are their confidences? Where are their houses, their structures, their buildings? Not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, theoretical sense or theological sense. Where are their places of power and their places of refuge? Where are they? And then we should go there and find ways to bring them down, to bring them to ruin, to destroy them. Not avoid them, but destroy them. Verse 22, a similar statement, 21-22. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Scaling the city of the mighty spying it out, looking out where their stronghold is, and then bring down that stronghold. So if their stronghold is their verbiage, their terminology, then tear it apart. Show them that they are lying. Show them that they don't really believe what they're saying. Tear it apart. Destroy it. If it is in terms of their places in terms of certain institutions, then seek to undermine those institutions. If it's in the university, even Christian university and seminaries, if it's there, then find ways there to undermine what they're doing. They are undermining what we want. They are undermining the way they used to be, these institutions used to be. So why can't we recover them? Let's take control and recover them. And in the same way with the government. If certain people were elected to power who are corrupt, well then undermine them. Bring them down. How? By campaigning against them, voting against them, doing whatever is necessary against them to put righteous people in office. We must continue in this way. Now, some of this depends, as soldiers, it depends on discernment, right? A soldier needs to know who is on my side and who is not on my side. A soldier needs to know very well his enemy. He needs to understand them and study them and be able to attack their false confidences, their strongholds. He needs to be able to bring their house to ruin. And that takes 
knowledge, and with knowledge comes discernment, right? Proverbs 14, 15. Proverbs 14, 15. The naive believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. The naive, the simpleton, the gullible man, the man who can easily be tricked, he believes everything. So when the enemy says something, do you believe it? Or do you test it? Do you consider your steps? Are you wise enough to know that when people say things, not everything they say is true? It doesn't matter who they are, whether it's on the television or on the internet, in a book, in an article. Even if it's a politician, everything he says is not true, right? We know that to be the case in day-to-day -day life. Well, then why don't we use that discernment in politics and everywhere else we should? Consider our steps. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things. Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 John 4.1. 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Then what will we use for our discernment? What will we use for our testing capabilities, the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. How long have we been in the faith? How long? And should we be capable teachers now? Now, capable ought to be teachers. He doesn't mean necessarily standing in front of an audience as the pastor. He doesn't necessarily mean it that way. But are you, as a husband, able to teach your wife? Are you parents able to teach your children? Is that happening? What about one friend to another? What about Christian to coworker or classmate? Are we able to teach and share the truth of the gospel and its implications for the way we look at the world to others? Because if we're not able to do it, he's saying that though you are 20 years old, though you are 30 or 40 years old, though you have been in the faith for a while, if you're not able to do that, then you're still drinking milk. You've been drinking milk for 30 or 40 years. You have not been eating solid food. And we know from this picture he, he paints that nobody can live on drinking milk until the age of 40, 50, or his whole life long. No one can survive like that. 
We need solid food. Well, how can we obtain solid food or partake of solid food? 14, solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We need to know more of the word of God. Not just that the Bible says God is love, but understand what it means in context and what it says about God being righteous and holy and wrathful. What about all those verses? That's where the solid food is, and that's the solid food that nobody wants to partake of and practice. They don't want that. And many other things of that nature. But if we are partaking of solid food, and with practice, we will have, and with training, it says, practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. If you don't know the Word of God, then you cannot discern good and evil. And this is what we have. We have on the internet, in, in many platforms, on the internet, we have many people claiming to be Christians, claiming to be believers, claiming to cite this or that verse of the Bible, the vast majority of which are taking the Bible out of context, misapplying them to the current controversies of the world and in the church, misapplying, distorting the Bible and misapplying them to the church. 4 example, this happened recently. Um, one Christian was debating a so-called Christian on the internet, and this Christian, so-called Christian, said that women can be pastors. Women can be pastors. The Bible supports women as pastors. And the evidence that she gave to the Christian man was that Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. And by the way, this originates as a Christian controversy only because, or mainly because, in the world, feminism has taught so many people that the sexes, male and female, are interchangeable, completely interchangeable, and therefore, that controversy in the world, because it's not put down, because it's not controlled, it's not restrained and refuted, then it comes, it bleeds over into the church, and then in the church, we have these people saying, women can and ought be, to be pastors, and then they say, Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. Two women, that woman said, two women taught this man Apollos. She actually said they were two women, when actually, that's Acts 18.26, 18.26. However, if she had read her Bible properly, Acts chapter 18, verse 2 says, 18.2, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently become uh, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Aquila is the name of a man, the husband of Priscilla. It says his wife Priscilla, a certain Jew, not Jewess, a female Jew. It says a Jew, his wife 
Priscilla. Now, these are easily refutable, easily refutable. But this kind of thing happens constantly on the Internet. Even pastors do this. So much of this is happening because people don't read and use the Bible to refute error. We have to practice discernment. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's use this as soldiers, as good soldiers of Christ, and not be ashamed when we bring up the Bible to other people. Use the Bible and never be ashamed as a good soldier. If they ridicule us, they ridicule us, but we will be faithful to God, the one who enlisted us as a soldier. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.